The Baggies Podcast, giving you the latest news, views and opinions on all things Albion. Now available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hello Baggies fans and welcome to another episode of the Baggies Podcast. It's episode 37 here today. It's a bit of a different one. The normal format, if, you, if you're new to the podcast, basically you have to listen to me for a little bit. Then you listen to somebody more interesting and me together. But this week it's different because you don't have to listen to me at all at the start. There's no listen. Well, apart from now, because I'm just explaining to you what's happening. But there's no listening to me at the start. Basically, the whole episode is an interview with a very special guest. It's a, just a nice conversation between Al- two Albion fans. This particular Albion fan is ITV News political correspondent and presenter Daniel Hewitt. And he's joined me to talk all things Albion and all his memories from Albion and, you know, all that sort of jazz, and also a bit on this season, unfortunately, as well. But yes, it's a definitely a must-listen-to episode. So if you're listening to me now, don't stop, don't stop, or don't, if you have to go, if you have to stop, if you need to let, put the bins out or something, just do that, and then come back, because this is one you won't want to miss. If you're new around here, making sure, make sure your Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube is all followed, subscribed, downloaded, all that stuff. But yeah, thank you for downloading the episode if you have already. And make sure you're leaving us a nice review if you're enjoying the podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter as well, at the Beggies Pod or at LouisBent underscore. Or you can follow Daniel on Twitter. His link will be in the description. But yes, here is a nice little chat with Daniel Hewitt from ITV News. I'm a huge West Brom fan. Let's go. As mentioned in the introduction to the podcast, I am joined by a very special guest this week. I'm joined by Daniel Hewitt, who's a political correspondent and presenter for ITV News. And he's also a West Bromwich Albion fan. That's why he's here. Daniel, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good, mate. How are you? You all right? I'm all right, yes. So you are, you are a political correspondent. Now, some people may not know what that means, including perhaps... <laughs> yeah. But, so what exactly do you do all day? <laughs> um, well, each day is different, but basically my job is to cover politics for ITV. So, uh, so I'm based in Westminster, though I travel quite a lot around the country. Uh, probably one of the few people who hasn't actually been in lockdown at any point, really. I've been traveling around the whole time. Um, so, yeah, so my job is to report on um, politics and sort of current affairs for ITV um, sort of all through the week, really. Um, so every day can be different. Some weeks I'm doing the daily. You might, may have seen me doing the daily press conference with, with Boris Johnson and some of the ministers do that sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, reporting from the Houses of Parliament. In ordinary times before COVID, my life was Brexit for a long time. So that was fun. Um, so, yeah, I know, I know, I know. So it's been Brexit and COVID the last <laughs> four years. So it's been pretty fun. But no, it's pretty full on. It's a pretty full on job. Um, and I'd like to say that the Albion are a sort of nice relief, but uh, not at the moment. Uh, but yeah, so that's my job. Yeah. And I do a couple of podcasts as well, which is I'm more than more than happy to come on to this podcast because uh, I think it's great. Yeah, well, you say about Albion uh, not particularly giving you the sweet release from or perhaps your, your day job, but if we take a yeah. take a look back at perhaps greener pastures uh, of your of your previous memories. So you were born. Uh, uh, my research tells me tells me that you were born in Cannock, which is obviously yeah. Bromwich, uh, and you're a West Bromwich Albion fan, of course. So how did how did you get into sporting them? How did it how did it come about? Yeah, my um, dad's a big Albion fan, as is his brother, as is my all my cousins. We're a big Albion family, really. My dad, um, my dad was eleven. If you can hear barking, that's my dog, by the way. So I apologise <laughs> if you can right. hear that. Um, but my yeah, my dad started supporting Albion as an eleven-year-old on the day we won the FA Cup in mm. um, in six in sixty-eight. Um, oh, yeah. And he used to the road he used to live on in, in Pelsall in Warsaw. The bottom of the road was that there was a bus and the bus used to pass the ground. So mm-hmm. from 11, he used to go to the ground and became a fan pretty much the day of the FA Cup final. So he's always grown up supporting the Albion. He used to go home and away with his mate. And then, then his younger brother started going along with him. So him and him, him, my uncle, have been going for years. And I started going. It wasn't really a choice, I have to say. I mean, I mean, it isn't, it's not, it's not, it's no, it's not yet a legal form of child abuse making it, making your son support a shit football team. But um, if there, if it is, then my dad's in trouble, I think. But um, yeah, so my first game was was five, and um, it was nineteen ninety three. I can barely remember it, but we lost one nil at home to Bristol City, and. We lost one nil, and it was awful. And I sat in what is was the Rainbow Stand, which yeah. is now the East Stand, which is now the East Stand. Um, and I hated it. And there's a sort of I've watched my younger cousins come up, um, sort of your age, your age, and a little bit older. 
Um, and I've sort of watched them come up over the years. And there's a point where you're just too young. And my dad tried to take me too young, I think. Like four mm-hmm. or five, obviously it was cold. And look, we were crap. We were like bottom end of Division One back then. And sorry, is that really frustrating? That dog, sorry. Um, uh, and we were just uh, crap. And it was cold. I remember the game being rubbish, and I just wanted to go after like half an hour. <laughs> after the after the after the pie and the coke, I really wanted to go home. And uh, yeah, I think I left it another year, and then he took me again. And my mom was dead. My mom was dead against me going again because I really not liked the first time. And now that second time, it just clicked, and that was it. Um, never stopped going since then, since I was six, really. So I had the same seat in the Brummie Road, and until about four or five years ago, a JJ one six one. For twenty something years, yeah. and um, yeah, that's how it started. Really, my dad took me. So, yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, we were properly crap then. I mean, that's yeah. we we. Yeah. So the season I started supporting Albion, we'd just come up from this. We I missed the glory of the glory sort of year season of the playoff final against Port Vale. I missed that. So we'd just come up. I think Keith Birkinshaw was manager, and we were just awful. Like really, really yeah. bad. Like that. I don't know how old you are, but that I've got my cousins are sort of their first seasons were like the first year of the Premier League. Yeah. Um. Sort of early two thousands. So it's only, it's only it's, I mean since the early two thousands we've been pretty good relatively speaking yeah. for the size of the club, and we've always been involved in something. I was saying I was chatting to someone the other day. I was saying the thing about sporting West Brom is it's never ever boring. It, we've yeah. been involved in a relegation or a promotion battle pretty much for the last 20 years. Um, not many clubs have been in that pit position. Where in the 90s, we were just dross, absolute dross, and sort of just falling down the, the chat then Division One. So that was my sort of start, really. Um, but I loved it. Loved every second of it. Couldn't go to enough games, yeah. Yeah, tr- trust me. I, I know how it feels being thrust straight into the West Brom sort of fan base without even without consent, really. No that, consent, that, exactly. Yeah, that baggy's that baggy bird thing was the first thing I saw when I was born. The first thing my granddad just said, "Here's his toy. He's going to be an Albion fan." And I was like, "Right, okay, then. Yeah, we're doing this." And it's and it's and it's like an aggressively scary mascot because I was I was mascot when I was about nine against Reading at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember meeting Baggy Bird, and I was petrified. He was massive. Yeah, the like, wings. Absolutely, the the wings are just <laughs> huge. Like I remember just meeting him, just looking up and being like tears, and like my 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 mom like pulled me away from him. I was like, he was it was pe- my sister was little, like really young, but much younger than me. She kind of came along with the family to watch me be the mascot for the day, and she just couldn't stop crying. He was. He, and he's a, like a terrible mascot, <laughs> like, like for a kid. It was designed for children. It's a really bad mascot. Um, but yeah, no, no choice. Like you, mate, no choice to be an, an Albion fan. The wing, like I remember, I, I'm one of the first times I met him. The wing just sort of like, the, it like flaps over at the end, and it sort of just covered my face. And it honestly, it's got it's scarred me for life. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but yeah, you, you mentioned obviously watching the Albion in that early nineties. I think that yeah. was. Uh, after speaking to Richard Sneaks a couple of weeks ago, it was quite. Uh, it, 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 he described it as like it was so good because he sort of came in and that was sort of the catalyst for things getting a bit better. But if you had to sort of pick in your early as your first West Bromwich Albion sort of hero, would would you be able to do that? Well, I can, I can tell a funny story about that actually. But but before on before, I mean, Richard Sneakers was the turning point in in for the club really. For I mean, he was the first. So I went to, went to primary school in a little village called Heath Hayes near Cannock and it was a big, in the 90s Villa were doing really well and loads of my mates were Villa fans. The other, it was a half Villa, half Walls. I'm the only Albion fan of my group of mates still to this day and um, Villa were flying like in Europe and stuff like York and all that and Wolves were doing all right. In the 90s, unlike now, Wolves always beat us in the 90s. Oh. We had a terrible record, especially at, especially at Molyneux and Sneakers was like the first good player I'd seen in the flesh like Bob Taylor was a good player, but Bob Taylor was sort of you sort of re, you sort of learn to appreciate Bob Taylor as an older, how sort of prolific he was. But in the nineties, when you're sort of a kid, and this is definitely, especially even more so now with like YouTube and Instagram, so you can access good footballers so easily. But even in the nineties, I I just Bob Taylor was a sort of like poacher, whereas there was no kind of quality sort of sexy footballers in the nineties playing for Albion, and then sneakers turned up this like. I mean, he was gorgeous. I mean, he had like long blonde <laughs> hair. He like he was like 
like a like foreign. I think he's the first foreign player I'd seen play for us. I mean, mm. it, it was like it was like he shouldn't play, and he was just brilliant. I remember him scoring a, a like a four, like thirty yard goal on like a Tuesday night against someone, and I couldn't stop talking about it. The, like the playground at primary school the next day. Um, but no, my favorite. So he was like a hero of mine, um, and I distinctly remember in a way. Like, one of my favorite things about being an Albion fan is the last away game of the season going dressed up as. Uh, in a theme, and I remember my first, <laughs> yeah. my first one of that was the sneakers weeks. Everyone went in the oh, long yeah. weeks. Um, but yeah, though my so weirdly, so in the so I remember the, the day I was mascot. It must have been the day I was mascot, or or something like that. I went, I got went into the dressing room to meet the players. I was only a kid, and the only good player this was before sneakers. So it would have been before I was a mascot, and the only good player was was Bob Taylor. It was the only good player we had. <laughs> Andy Hunt, Andy Hunt was okay. Yeah. Lee Ashcroft and Kevin Donovan were okay. They were all slightly out of their depth in the championship after having a good season in like the then League One or uh, sorry Division Two. And I, but for some reason, I was obsessed with a with a winger called Dave Gilbert. I've no idea why. You probably don't know who this guy is. Oh, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> a, but a winger. It was the Alan Buckley era where Alan Buckley had basically we bought, got him from Grimsby, and he just bought all the Grimsby players apart from the only good Grimsby player who was Clive Mendonca, who he didn't sign. So he signed all this shit from Grimsby, except the only player we actually wanted, which was, was Clive Mendonca, who went to Charlton. <laughs> and um, for some reason, I was obsessed with Dave Gilbert. He was this little sort of stocky winger. Um, and he had like half a good season for us. And I, for some reason, I became, as a kid, I was obsessed with him. So in the dressing room, I remember the woman came up to me and like there was a bunch of kids and said, who do you want to speak to? And everyone said, Bob Taylor, Bob Taylor, Bob Taylor, Super Bob, Bob, Bob. And I went, Dave Gilbert. And the woman thought I was taking the piss. Like, a sort of, like an eight-year-old. No one else wanted to speak. I think even Dave Gilbert was pretty surprised. But for some reason, I just really liked Dave Gilbert. And there was a guy behind me in the Brummie Road end. Who, every time Gilbert bit the ball up, he'd shout, skin him, Gilly. And I don't think Dave Gilbert ever skinned anyone. I don't think he ever got across it. But for some reason, I was obsessed with him. So Gilbert was sort of like my first Albion, like, hero is probably overstretching it. But the player I remember liking. Um, but Sneakers, definitely. I mean, Sneakers sort of changed everything, really. Um, and then, obviously, after Sneakers, it was sort of Megson. Gary Megson came in, and that's, that, that's when it really started being really fun yeah. supporting us. Yeah, I think um, I think I I can relate to that sort of a weird obsession with a player. I yeah. remember a few years ago, for me, it was I, I think it was probably more because my dad didn't like him, and I was just sort of doing it to annoy him. But he didn't yeah. like Rondon. He didn't like Rondon a few years ago, and I was like, I love Rondon. He's like he's like my favourite player. And actually, I ended up really liking him, and I you know followed him followed him round at Newcastle, see what he was up to. But yeah, it's sort of that weird little obsession when like you know your your friends go, who's your yeah. favourite? Player and you know it, who would be it would probably be Brunty around that sort of time you go yeah. yeah yeah Brunty of course is the best player in the team or something like that and then I go oh Solomon Rondon definitely yeah see Rondon's a, Rondon's a funny one for me because that so the Rondon era was sort of the pudest era and I was like I was very unpopular I think amongst a lot of Twitter Albion fans because I was I actually. I mean it, I, forgive me if this is like heresy because it is for some West Brom fans I didn't mind Pulis. And um, yeah. but I wasn't a huge fan of Rondon. Um, Rondon was okay. I mean, in hindsight, he was much better than what lot we've got now. But um, I was sort of that was probably my peak, like pulis defense on Twitter. I, I've I've backed off a lot from tweeting about Albion because I yeah. just can't be bothered with the hassle. It's just too much stick. But there was a lot of the, the thought that your dad will back me up on this. The thought <laughs> at the time was that Rondon was no. Was, was not playing well. And you may agree with this point. Yeah. Rondon didn't play well because he, no, he had no service. And what he did, what he, he did, good, did well with what he had. I always thought that was not true. I always thought he was pretty rubbish. And he, was, he actually didn't hold the ball nowhere near enough as he should have. And I, I would tweet every now and again, just saying like, I don't think Rondon played well or whatever. And then I discovered quite recently that he blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, Rondon. Yeah. Oh, Rondon, a nice guy. I, I didn't think that was the sort of person you could tick off. Very thin-skinned, by the sounds of it. I've never added him. Like I, I would never do that. I'm not yeah. like I, I, on a very, very small level. I have a little bit of that in my job, and I, it's not nice. Like you can yeah. like, disagree with someone or think they're rubbish, but don't like don't pile on the mentions. Why would you do that? So I would just kind of comment on his the way he played. Um, sometimes critically, but never rude. And yeah, anyway, I'd someone had quote tweeted something. It was deleted. I, I couldn't see it. 
and I clicked on it and it's <laughs> Solomon Rondon has blocked you. So Solomon Rondon was at that time was go- was tweeting his own name and looking yeah, through the tweets. The, the searching yeah. your own name. I think I've seen that a few times where players nobody's mentioned the player like you know with the at, but they've just obviously searched their own name. Yeah. And I think somebody actually that happened with somebody in Luke Dowling. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. A sort of little secret Twitter account going on and this bloke tweeted him and obviously he didn't like what he said about him and he blocked him straight away and he's like yeah. I've never seen this account before he's obviously yeah. been sick what people have been saying about him yeah it's, it's one of those strange ones I didn't think you could, I thought Rondon always came across as a very smiley chap I didn't think this was the sort of thing well he may I'm sure he is I mean, it might be that he's just a bit sensitive and, and I'm sure he listens to this podcast so if, if you're listening Solomon I have no hard feelings more than happy to have a chat about it. Um, in hindsight, I was probably a bit too critical given the dross we are playing for us now. So I apologise. Uh, if I offended you, feel free to unblock me. If you don't want to unblock me, it's fine. I've got over it. <laughs> well, Solomon, if you are listening, um, you know, it would be great to have you on. You know, but... <laughs> Just to... More importantly, you want to come on the bank podcast? Exactly. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this isn't the sort of thing that you listen to now, now over in Russia. But uh, Daniel, if... If, if I had to ask you to pick a best season supporting the club, obviously your first seasons will be quite high up in your, you know, your your memories of, yeah. of watching Albion. But if you had to pick a best season or best campaign or best sort of, you know, yeah. runner games even, what would you say? It, it's it's a really easy question to answer. I think I've got the 2001-2, the, the, the first promotion season okay. when, we chased, when we chased Wolves down. And went up at that. I mean, I remember I've got a freakishly good memory for that season. Um, I mean, I, I'm not joking. I'm honestly being serious when I even talk about. And I, I've got this now. When I talk about it, I get goosebumps on the back of my neck, and I get a bit emotional. Like that season was like was just incredible because you sort of have the, the context as I mentioned earlier. Up until that that point, I'd only ever watched just be crap. We were never involved in the playoffs. We nearly got relegated um, on the last on the last set up on the last day against Charlton. We had a sort of playoff run this next season. Then we'd make some, we never really like never really thought we'd get up go up in the playoffs. We weren't good enough. I mean, we had players like Jason Van Blerk playing for us, and you probably don't remember him. Just players like that. Um, and yeah, he just came out of nowhere. We sort of had a decent start to the season, and then Wolves were running away with the league, and Man City were were kind of just yet. Yeah, way too good for the league and there was no one really thought it was going to happen and suddenly we went on this incredible run and just kept winning and winning and Wolves just couldn't win a game and <laughs> I was go- it, was that, it was that point where I was going every week home and away I, I think I probably missed two games the whole start whole season and it was every week we would go and it was it was the 1-0 season so it was the season where we were, I think we won 1-0 like 18 times <laughs> and we kept like I think we kept 26 or 27 clean sheets and it was just the most remarkable way to watch football. To, to, the amount of games you go one the up and just sit back. I remember, I remember we, we went to Coventry away. Wolves had lost on, in, the, in, the, in the early kickoff a home to Man City. And we, we could have, so we could like cut the gap to like three points. Mm. And Bob Taylor scored after like a minute mm. at Highfield Road. And we hung on for 90 minutes. And when I say hung on, we didn't eat we, under Megson, they didn't even try and get a second. It wasn't like, <laughs> but they were just incredible, incredible defensively. Yeah. They were the most, they were the fittest, most organized team. And it was just, it was a, it's a mixture, mixture for me of like every, that season's a Hollywood season for the Arabian fans. Not only did we kind of first promotion to the Premier League, but the fact that we did it against Wolves. And, and I have to say, I genuinely, could talk, I, we could do a whole podcast on the Bradford <laughs> away game. Like I, I would say I watched that on YouTube once a month. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I could probably, I could probably quote the commentary, like chunks of the commentary. I think I, um, I, think I saw a tweet about that uh, earlier this week, and obviously I was, ve- I, I quite narrowly missed out being born before mm. that, before that fixture. But yeah, you might. And, and a lot of that season actually. But yeah, my. Um, I saw it on Twitter and I saw I saw the table at some point during the season and then I saw it at the end and I was like, surely, yeah. I looked at the first picture and I was like, surely you can't catch anybody from then. It, it looked a bit like what happened last season with Brentford and how we just couldn't win a game. And yeah. they were it was that. It, 
It was exactly that. It was exactly that. It was this absolute collapse. Wolves collapsed out of nowhere. And, and I remember so much about the, the weird little details. That see, I remember in January we were going to sign it. We were going to sign a, a winger, I think, called Kevin Cooper from Cardiff. And at the last minute, he went to Wolves and he said something like, "I think got more chance of promotion." That's fucking great. And I added loads to it. I remember, like, I remember they played like it was. It was the time of ITV Digital, so like an ITV Digital, like they collapsed after about three seasons. But ITV had had games again, and they had weird kickoff. T- it's, it's 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 sort of normal now to have a Friday or a Thursday, but they introduced like Thursday night games or Friday night games that never happened before. I remember yeah. going out to my cousin's house and we all put. Piled in because my, my cousin's anyone had ITV digital <laughs> and we all watched it and they they lost at Millwall and Steve Clary and they lost on a Friday night at Millwall and then we went and we won the next game and every I remember the Friday night away at Nottingham Forest you should watch all this like Neil Clement free kick it's the bar and Bob Taylor comes in and dive header and like like five minutes to go and it was just a packed away end at Forest and I remember the 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 camera came across the way end and everyone was saying, are oh, you watching Wanderers at the camera? <laughs> and it was just like, we, it was this thing of, we just felt we was, we was chasing Wolves down yeah. and they just couldn't, they couldn't, I think if they'd have won two games out of the last 11, they'd have, they'd have gone promoted. They just couldn't win a game. Yeah. And we just went on this ridiculous run that led to Bradford, where Bradford was the game where if we got, if we won, we went above them on the last day of the season. So he's in our own hands and we couldn't score. We just threw everything at them. I remember their goalkeeper made this save off a Trevor Benjamin header. To this day, people talk about the Gordon Banks Pele save. It's nothing, nothing, nothing compared to this save this keeper pulled out. And yeah, and then I'm sure you've seen it. Ball comes across, Bob Taylor takes it his left, cuts inside, Taylor takes him down. And then Igor Ballis, who is yeah, just a, if you ask my if you ask my hero, if you ask my number one Albion hero, it is Igor Ballis. Igor Ballis, um, Slovakian, couldn't speak a word of English, just yeah. slots it the slots it in the bottom corner, and it was just mayhem. And it, at that point, you realise how much of the Bradford Stadium was just Albion fans. It was just it, it, Albion fans poured out every, every stand onto the pitch. It, I'd say of the fifteen thousand were there, thirteen thousand were Albion fans. Honestly, it was just. And then, yeah, we beat Palace in the last day and that was it. So that season by a I mean, I can name you the, the, the 11 of games in that, that season. They're just some... And the, the, that was the Battle of Bramall Lane season as well. Oh, which yeah. Is just, I was there for that. That was scary. The Battle of Bramall Lane was scary. It was... When, they, when it went 3-0 and Michael Brown, like, ran down the tunnel um, injured um, and we watched to the right and the Sheffield United... Um, fan. We thought we were going home, basically. Third went in, and we thought they were going home. So they're yeah. st- the stand to the right side emptying. And then about three minutes later, all the police came in the away end. Loads of police came in the away end and shut all the doors boom, 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 all across the old Sheffield Bramall Lane. And all these, and then like a, sec- a second later, you just heard all the Sheffield United fans trying to get in the away end. And it was just, it was. I was like about thirteen, oh and my, my dad hadn't come to that. My dad hadn't come. I was with my cousin, who's only about twenty at the time. And um, I mean, him and his girlfriend. So there's only three of us. And it was the first time I think I've been to a game without my dad for about 15 years or something. What, like 10 years, whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and um, it was really scary. Like leaving the ground. Because everyone remembers the football game. I remember like walking back to our car and thinking if anyone knows for an Albion fan we're in trouble. It was horrible. There was like police yeah. horses everywhere. It was fighting. It was horrible. As a kid, it was horrible. You don't really see that kind of thing these days, but it was quite common back then. Like away games were pretty scary. Um <laughs> But yeah, that season, sorry, I'm talking way too much, but that season for me, I can talk about that season all day. It's a really easy question for me to answer that one. I, 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 did, I did think the other day, I, I got, I've got my West Brom calendar behind me and they chose Battle of Bramall Lane for the March one of it. And I think, yeah. I, I, obviously my dad, my dad, I think this is probably, that's his number one thing to rage at is the Battle of Bramall Lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one yeah, thing to just yeah. think. I absolutely, I think that's one of the reasons why he doesn't like Neil Warnock to this day. But I thought yeah. it's a weird choice to have on the calendar. That is, I mean, I know it's a bit iconic considering that's probably it is. one of the times it, yeah. And, and it was weird because I remember leaving the ground, it wasn't totally clear what was going to happen. I remember listening, putting the radio on at five live, and he's always was talking about. I mean, to this day, I can't think of another game in my lifetime that's been abandoned for that reason. I'm probably sure there has been, but not, not at that level. And I remember like people ringing up saying, Well, on FIFA. If you get these, if you get people <laughs> sent off, then it's an automatic three 0 win. And 
and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure FIFA, and it was all that kind of thing. And it was a, it, we left the ground with like 20 minutes to go with the game, and the game ended with 20 minutes to go, and it wasn't totally clear what was going to happen. Like, would we be getting the three points? And at that point, for us, it was, the three points were huge. We were, we were chasing Wolves down, yeah. so it was wasn't totally clear. And and Warnock kind of came out in his interview and said, "Well, I thought, look, we'll have to play, we'll have to replay it." And it was just like uh, Mason was furious. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, the whole thing. I listened to a podcast with Andy Johnson recently, um, who was one of my favourite players in that team. Yeah. And yeah, Sam Tot, he, he knew in the week that Sam's. So Santos apparently wasn't he? I mean, Santos wasn't basically playing for. He played for us the season before, or two seasons before, George Santos. Um, and apparently yeah. he was like out, out of favour at Sheffield United, wasn't going to like be kept on that season and Warnock literally played him because he wanted to yeah because um, he had a knock Andy Johnson rivalry with Andy, John- Andy Johnson you know? yeah I mean I, so I, it was yeah yeah I watched the Sky thing I think it was it must have been uh, like a uh, not a memorial but like on this day sort of thing on the yeah Sky yeah yeah it was quite recently actually I watched it again and uh, the commentators were like and here comes Santos. You know he's got a history with Andy Johnson and first touch of the ball. First thing. Johnson, first thing. I remember, I remember what seeing him flying there. And at the time, I knew um, uh, I'd, I'd, we were, I'd, my dad used to work for Lucasade. So my dad used to call in on West Brom as part of his job. And he knew a few of the staff. He knew a guy called Nick Worth, who was the physio there. Mm-hmm. And um, Nick, told, <laughs> Nick told us some stories <laughs> about what happened after them in the tunnel and Santos was trying to get in the dressing room. So, like he wasn't finished. It was like it, it, it was serious. Santos was killing. Oh my God. It was it was pretty pretty hard. And Danny Johnson's a nutcase. I mean, he's a pretty hard guy himself. But um, yeah, no, that season we just had everything. I had absolutely everything, and all the characters. And obviously that as why why it's why until we'll come onto it. But it's why I had such mixed feelings about the Darren Moore time when he was manager because. He was just an absolute hero of mine in that team. He was just a colossus yeah. at the back. He was just such an integral part of that team. I remember he had a, he had a knee injury as a, before he came to Albion and he used to have this routine before every game. He would hop on every, on one foot a hundred times and hop on the other one a hundred yeah. times. I used to watch him from the Brimley Road and doing it. I used to love the guy. So when he became manager, it was like, I just wanted him to succeed so much because I just didn't want his legacy to be like ruined. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I I actually think that's a that's sort of a bit of a problem with a lot of uh, modern players. Um, obviously, you've got Brunty now in the coaching staff, and you've got James Morrison, of course, uh, potentially. <laughs> potentially keep slipping for some reason. So, <laughs> right, potentially, you know, people saying, "Oh, give them the job, give them the job," and whatnot. I think that's how you mentioned it there with Darren Moore. That's the reason why quite a few people don't want them to have the job because if things go a bit pear-shaped, like perhaps they did with with Big Day, that's you know they don't want to see their hero be sort of booted out. They don't want to see them sacked. Yeah, and also I've sort of though I'm as you can probably tell from this conversation, I'm a pretty sort of sentimental person. I like look back on stuff with like real um, like really happy memories, but I'm also kind of I don't I only care about Albion doing well now. And I don't really, I don't care who our manager is unless, unless as long as they do well. So um, if Darren Moore was the, I personally felt more probably was the right person for the job in that context, given what he'd done in that Premier League season yeah. towards the end. I think he'd, he'd earned the right. I think without Graham Jones, I think he'd have done a much better job. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been, that's showing, that's shown at Doncaster. Well, I know he's won today at Sheffield, at yeah. Barnsley. So, um I, I, but I, I don't really care. Like, I, I, it's not my dream for Chris Brunt to be our manager. Or, and I mean, I feel like I don't know about you, but I feel like every single time a manager manager gets sacked, we're linked with Michael Appleton because he played for us yeah. like twenty years ago. <laughs> and Derek, Derek, Derek McKinnon's as well. Yeah, Derek McKinnon's. Yeah, like what's the what? I don't. I mean, I don't like not desperate for them to come back, and I don't think because they played for us. 20, I mean, in Michael Appleton's case, he barely played for us, I mean, 20 years ago. He's a really good player. He had a horrible injury um, for when he was at Albion. McInnes is a, was a club, was the captain the year we got promoted. I mean, I love the guy to bits, but I don't really care that he played for us. I mean, what, I don't I never really quite understand that. I mean, Alex yeah. Ferguson had absolutely no connection with Man United and Arsene Wenger had absolutely no connection with Arsenal when they went to those clubs. Yeah. It's, they're just the best. So I just don't really care. Um, so I think in the backroom staff, it can be slightly different. I think having someone around that gets the club and understands the club. And, and I think 
I don't know, maybe part of the, the win against Wolves was the fact that there was, I don't know, Morrison was around yeah. and, and, and there was that, that kind of, an Allardyce, that kind of manager who kind of mm. get them up for those games. And that's probably maybe part of that. But yeah, on the whole, I don't really, I'm not desperate for like the manager to always have a connection with the club. I think Gary Megson had no connection with Albion when he came in and he's probably the most successful manager. And then Roy Hodgson saying really. So yeah, yeah it doesn't, doesn't bother me really. Yeah, I think I'm I'm with you on that one. I think it really doesn't matter who's in. They can build that connection with, you know, yeah. they can, you know, it's it's one of those things. Not every manager of every club's going to have 20 years playing experience at the club, are they? It's just one of those things exactly. where you can build that connection and build build things up. But if I uh, unfortunately I'm going to have to take you to present day <laughs> and we we can talk about exactly what's been happening um this season. So if you look back to the summer transfer window, that was perhaps where people think things went wrong things went perhaps a bit a bit pear-shaped obviously the promotion was a bit a uh, bit wonky towards the end of the towards the end of the season last year with obviously sort of stumbling over the line eventually getting the job done yeah. but where do you think sort of the mistakes lie this season obviously it looks like championship is all but all but there to be confirmed but yeah where do you stand with that so I sort of have it a sort of um, macro and micro view. My sort of micro view we'll go into in a second. The macro view is I don't think you can talk about this in any way without discussing the ownership of the club. Yeah. Like I've got a real problem. I think any Albion fan with any sense, I have a real problem with how the club's being run. Um, we're owned by a guy who doesn't care about us, doesn't want to own us anymore, doesn't even bother turning up. Um, has no interest in football anymore because because of the, the situation in China politically. He effectively has been told to like get rid, but he can't. He can't yeah. sell the club for less than he bought it for because he can't lose face. He can't sell it until we're more profitable, but we're getting relegated partly because of the way he runs the club. It's like <laughs> a kind of chicken and egg, like vicious circle. So yeah, in that's the. I mean, I think any manager in that context is going to struggle. Um, yeah. Clearly, Billich didn't have enough money to spend. The money he did spend, I think you can you can. If you were being critical, you would say he spent too long trying to build last season's team yeah. again. But but then if you were being fair, I think that's a fair point. He, he he got promoted on a team of loan players, and I mean he kind of had to. He was start. He wasn't starting from scratch. He was starting ten yards behind the start line because he had to basically spend all that money to get back to where we started. Um, Kravinovic was a waste of a, a waste of a signing. I think Callum yeah. Robinson was a waste of a signing. I think he spent far too long trying to get Carlin Grant, given he's not been not been worth it. Ivanovic was a waste of a signing. Um, he didn't spend enough time trying to buy bringing like a couple of quality defenders. We clearly needed a centre midfielder. So Conor Gallagher was a good signing, but he needed another one. I think it's quite clear from our last time the was not good enough at this level. Um, so Billich made mistakes. Um, for sure, but given the money he had, and given the time he had, and given COVID, I think you'd be pretty harsh to say Billich was kind of totally to blame. I think it's really difficult, and I think if you look what Sam Allardyce has done, I think the, the signing of um, Nikoshlu or whatever, okay, or if you're recording him, has been like inspired. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like seeing Jakob again. That kind of player we really missed. Um, other than that, <laughs> I'm not sure. Maitland Niles has been okay. I mean, I know people like him, but he's missed some sitters. Um, yeah. And and the lad up front started okay, Dianya. He started all right, but again, chances, the chances he's missed, which sort of shows the how hard it is to buy a striker in the Premier League. I mean, we yeah. talked about Rondon earlier. I mean. But like in my in my time supporting Albion in the Premier League, we had a sort of glory era with Odin Wingy and Shane Long and for half the season Lukaku. Um other than that, we've struggled. It's really, really hard to buy strikers at Premier League level. And the difference between teams that stay off and the teams that don't are a striker. Newcastle may squeak over the line because they've got Callum Wilson. Yeah. Um and and that and that's kind of that's that is the difference. So it's really hard, I think, to judge the any manager given the situation of the ownership. And I think it's really hard to judge Billich given he was given given how hard a task he had. I mean, on the question whether we should have sacked him or not, I think it's really difficult. I, I wouldn't have. I personally would never wouldn't have sacked him at yeah. all. 
Um, he was really harsh and you talked about stumbling over the line. I personally think he dragged that team over the line. I mean, if you look, if you look at the season before, I mean, Dwight Gale and Rodriguez scored like over 50 goals between them and that team yeah. didn't get promoted. And our top scorer got, what, nine last season? Yeah. Um, right. Austin Austin just stopped playing after the, after the restart. <laughs> yeah. He could barely move. Robson can has always been a sort of four or five goal season guy. Um, yeah. It's kind of miracle that team got promoted given we basically weren't playing with a striker. Dean Garner was injured all season apart from a kind of weird three months where we basically got promoted. Yeah. Um, and again, that we spent a lot of money on Dean Garner, but I mean, was anyone saying at the time that was bad? That was money badly no. spent? I don't think they yeah. were. West Ham were saying that we were Sabine, he was being top <laughs> to a relegation rival. So, I think it's really tricky. I think hindsight did a wonderful thing. I think he didn't recruit well in the summer, but I'm not sure Allardyce has shown him how to recruit, given given the fact we're basically kind of, we're a bit better than we were, we're a bit tighter at the back, but we're still getting relegated. Yeah. I think what do you think? I think the recruitment, I think the recruitment needs a bit of a, a look at, because I think if you're going to give this, give Billich you know you've got a nice nice playing style in billets you're moving forwards as, as you were into the premier league and you're then sacking him after you know after a couple of months in the premier league you know we're only two points away from the drop zone then or getting out of the drop zone at, at that point so it wasn't so it wasn't completely doom and gloom it wasn't nailed on at all i mean the squad obviously we looked at it and thought we, we ain't going to stay up with this sort of squad everybody thought that but if you keep chopping and changing between the playing styles you know you talk you know you think about pulis and then you talk about uh, trying to bring in more attractive styles of football and you keep chopping and changing and you keep bringing in and you keep feeding that yeah. manager's appetite for that style of football and then keep tross, tossing between the two. You're just going to end up with a mix of players like probably we do have now, which are just a mix yeah. of you know past and present. You've got people like Kieran Gibbs who are still there from Pulis, obviously a quality left back in his day, but obviously getting, getting older a bit now. But you've got these players in there that are flair players. You've got people like Dean Garner, Pereira, who I don't think Pulis would have had in his team in a million years. But then... Yeah. I wouldn't have thought Allardyce would have had Pereira in his team, to be honest. I thought that was the first person who was going to get sort of shipped out. I know Dean Garner's had some, you know, issues with injury, mm. not being in the team. But yeah, I think if you keep shifting between those sorts of, I think we need to just have a clear plan, basically. Like, I know it's probably not the way to do it, but Norwich and Brentford who just, well, not maybe not Brentford, but Norwich who go down, stick with yeah. their manager and then come back up. I feel that's probably, I'd rather have that than just keep tossing and changing between managers. I agree with you, and I think that sort of comes back to the, the ownership thing, right? I think a, any sensible owner that isn't look, let's be let's be frank. He um, sacked Billich and bought Allardyce because he only cares about staying up. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, why does he only care about staying up so he can sell us? Mm. And more money in the Premier League, and so I think any, look, I, 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 I can tell you're a pretty sensible guy. There's not many many of them on Twitter, uh, football <laughs> fans. I think most Albion fans would probably resign to the fact we get relegated this season. It was a pretty big ass to stay up. If we'd have got relegated under Billich, I don't think anyone would have been that upset. I mean, if, this, if you're going to get relegated in any season, um, yeah, make it the season where we can't watch any of the games. <laughs> I'm yeah, fine yeah. with that. Um, I'm fine with that. I kind of accepted that the seat, when the minute we got promoted, for me, the, the sort of relief of promotion, the celebration was a genuinely kind of a sort of a financial one of like, wow, okay, that's three or four more years of yeah. parachute payments. Because I think the minute we have to lean on our owner, he'll just go, yeah. <laughs> and we're in trouble. Like we're, we're sliding. And I think getting promoted for me was a sort of like a security blanket that we, we, we got given. Football-wise, great. And I think, like, I think you're right. I think we started to see a bit of, identity under Billich. The thing for me with, with, with Allardyce, the thing that got me and things I've been really disappointed with, and again, I'll go back to it, like I'm, I, I, the reason why I was a fan of Pulis, and I genuinely was a fan of his, because I, I don't support Albion because I like them. Like, <laughs> I support Albion because I'm addicted to them. Like, I'm addicted to the Albion. I can't help it. They're like a drug. I really sometimes wish I could kick it, but I can't. So, I don't care how we play. <laughs> I just want to win. And so I don't go to the Albion for entertainment. I go to like the cinema for that. So for me, when we win one nil and we had like two shots and it was crap to watch, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I don't, never really quite understood why people were bothered about that. The problem is when you start losing, that's the problem. You start losing, yeah. it's like, well, it's, it's dross and it's boring. I genuinely felt with Allardyce 
that he was better than Pulis. And I mean, I, I half compared him in a tweet. I got a couple of responses saying, I think he's like better than Pulis. And I thought, you're probably right. I probably called that wrong. And the reason why I've been disappointed is because I genuinely thought he wasn't, he wasn't so sort of like um, uniform in his, resp- in, his, in his approach. I thought he would come in and say, right, what have I got to work with here? Like I yeah. watched from like afar at Everton and Palace and Sunderland where he'd gone in and he kept them up or he'd done well with them. And I felt from like the outside that he'd done that because he'd worked out, right, Defoe's my best player or Zahar's my best player. I'm going to build a team around them. Yeah. And I thought he'd come in and go, right, Pereira and Gallagher, they're my best players. Right, if I can just sort the defence out a bit, we'll build a team around these two. And all he did was basically make them defend all the time. And it was just like, and I, I just think, and I know nothing about football, but if your defenders are crap and ours are quite crap, don't make don't make them do more defending. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're quite bad at the defending. They currently have to do. Don't make them do more. Try and get them doing less. Try and relieve the pressure a bit. And it just the, the game that really turned me against Allardyce was the Sheffield United game. Yeah. That game was totally there for the taking. We went one nil up completely against the run of play, and I thought, right. These are rubbish. We can, if, we, if we counter and get a second, this game is over. And we're suddenly in this. We're suddenly like, they're mm. down. We're in. And second half, we just came out. And he just sat back. I was yeah. watching it thinking, are we going to sit back against these and not try and get out? They're no good. Yeah. Um, and, we, and we can't defend for 45. We've proven yeah. that every game this season. We can't do that. So why are we trying? And I think for me, that was the moment where I realised that Allardyce was a pretty unimaginative manager who I think's probably passed it. And um, I, I just think, I think football's moved on. And I think you can't make young footballers who've grown up on Instagram and uh, YouTube. You can't make, and um, they're foreign players like Pereira. You can't make them want to defend for an for 90 minutes. They're not going to do it. They're not interested in doing it. It's not why they became footballers. And it used to work, but it doesn't work anymore. And I think, can you name a single team in the last five, six years that stayed up in the Premier League playing like that, it stops. No, people don't stay up like that anymore. It doesn't work like that anymore. And I think the game's moved on. And um, I think Billich was kind of on the right track. Would have got relegated, I think, probably anyway. But I think we got relegated like playing, trying to play the way the players could play rather yeah. than trying to make, like you said, trying to make people like Pereira play um, against their style and... It's just depressing. It's been depressing the last few weeks. I mean, it's slightly, slightly better against Burnley and Man United and stuff. But um, yeah, on the whole, pretty awful. Yeah, I think you mentioned with with Allardyce and his like his almost stubbornness to change. Mm. I think uh, I remember I was actually going to bring up the Sheffield United game before you mentioned it. I thought, yeah, that's epitomised what what he was trying to do. I think I spoke to a guy from the Athletic on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he coordinated a podcast series on Allardyce and his history. And one of the answers I said, I asked him, you know, will he adapt to the players he's got in front of him? Because these players are not defensive players. Well, the majority of them aren't. Most of them no. are uh, and he said, absolutely no way. He said, you will not see an inch of, an inch of oh. like, you know, give with Allardyce. He said, it, you will just see what, what you've seen perhaps at Crystal Palace, West Ham, you know, Everton. You'll just see that. And if your players aren't up to it, he'll get rid of the players and bring in new ones. He said, there's no alternating between playing styles. There's no, ah, oh, this team actually might be able to play a bit of football here. So we'll, we'll do a bit, yeah. of football, play a bit of football. It'll be, you know, your classic yeah. Sam Allardyce where whoever he's got or wherever he goes and that's what we've seen right and it's just been it's been like the last few games uh, they've finally stopped shipping goals um but it, it just it just it seemed to me like such a ridiculous approach and the more and history is going to get i think more and more unkind on this season with Allardyce because um if you look at that we sort of wasted 12 games while he while he waited to get to bring his own players in and yeah. so it was just a kind of, we just wrote off the point. We wrote off the only period of the season where we could, would like realistically try and stay in the relegation battle. Mm-hmm. And by the time he kind of got his stuff together and brought his players in, it was kind of too late. And I just thought, well, that's not, I could do that. I could, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a moron and I could do that. I could go and go, right, we're playing like this. And they go, well, we can't really play like that. So we're playing like this and lose 12 games. And then, when suddenly when my mates turn up and I can play the way I want to play, we start like, what, not stop, it's too late, isn't it? In a matter now, 
It doesn't yeah. matter that you want to get a point at Burnley with 10 men. I mean, great. It's, it's, it's good that there's a bit of desire. I'm, I'm honestly of the opinion in the 20... How many years? God, 26, seven years I've been supporting the Albion. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've watched the team not try. Like, honestly, players often... Just, they play badly and I, I never hate that old oh, players aren't, don't care not playing with any desire I don't believe that I think most players do their best and sometimes they're not good enough or they'll have a bad day um, yeah. and so I don't buy this so they've started to show desire now and I think they've started I think it, when they lost 5-0 to Leeds or whatever it was and 4-0 to Wales I don't think they weren't trying they just couldn't play they just can't play like yeah. that they, there's no point trying to make the play like that and, and anyone can see watching those games you can see they can't do that you're trying to make them do stuff they can't do. And I know that your long-term or medium-term ambition is to like drop these players and bring your own, and that's fine. Yeah. But don't, don't, just don't keep with this ridiculous system um, that's not working. And I, I kind of feel like he, rele- he got relegated before he even got going, really. Um, and I thought he was better than that. And I've, I've been surprised. I also don't know what you think. I, I, don't, I don't want to read too much into it, but I just don't think he's that bothered. Uh, yeah, like I, the throw it, the, the throwing thing at Tottenham, and like the Palace game, he sort of doesn't. I don't know. Maybe it's on. Maybe he would deny that. Maybe, but I just, I just think doesn't that bother? Does he? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I saw on Twitter a lot of people that that there was a picture. I, I don't know whether you saw it of Allardyce. But he had like half his mask over his face, and he was in the he was in the dugout, and he was like. Almost yeah, like that face. he was like, yeah. it looked like he was either falling asleep or asleep, and people were yeah. like arguing toss over it in the comments. And I think I remember a few people saying, uh, Billich's passion and desire essentially got him nowhere. And I, I don't think, as you mentioned, there, his passion and desire sort of literally yanked yeah. us along for promotion. Yeah, I agree. I, I know yeah, that's the way Allardyce with he basically gets Sammy Lee to do all the jumping about for him and all the running around on the touchline because maybe it's because Allardyce is, you know, a bit unfit and, you know, can't be bothered to do all that sort of stuff or physically yeah. able to do that. But yeah, it just feels like this is like, it, there's no, I, I know you say no affiliation with the club, but there's no like sort of, he hasn't tried to build that relationship with the club. Uh, I mean, it's almost, I, I think actually bringing back for that, for that chat I had with the athletic guy, he said, you don't buy into Allardyce. Uh, no, he doesn't buy into you. You buy into him. So it's sort of like yeah, yeah. you buy into him. You don't like he's not going to think. Oh, West Bromwich Albion. You know what do their club like? What does their club like? I'm going to go and get a chicken balty pie just to endear myself to the fans. It's sort of like you're you're coming in. You're coming into him. Yeah, we won't wear a sneakers wig or <laughs> or dressing up as a Viking with Thomas for Thomas Guard. So. Um, yeah, I think um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's kind of the, the question has been happening is happening at Tottenham, isn't it, right now about is sort of Mourinho sort of past it that kind of, is that kind of mercenary thing of like you sort of you bring Allardyce in because you're in trouble, he'll come in, he'll he'll buy, he'll do what he needs to do for two or three years to get you out of the mess you're in, and then you then he moves on, he takes yeah. his pay and he moves on. Um, and that's what sort of Mourinho has become a little bit, but it stopped working. I feel like that's a little bit what's happening with us. It's sort of, it doesn't work anymore. Um, and I think every manager, well, most managers have a sort of, I think it's, happened, it's strange it happened to us twice. I mean, like you, you'll know obviously the whole, the Pardew season, it just feels the same. It just feels like, I mean, God, let's not talk about that, but, um, but that whole sort of like the desperation to stay in the Premier League for all the wrong reasons. And you sort of, force you to, to bring in a manager who's living off a like long like past reputation yeah. that doesn't doesn't stand up to the test of like contemporary uh, performances and stuff I just kind of feels to me like we're kind of living through this where history repeated itself yeah. a little bit with Allardyce um, and um, I personally um, and I've thought about this, about, a lot, about this a lot I personally wouldn't have him next season but I think we have to be careful uh, who we want because I, I, I'm like you I kind of would like us to see someone come in and like commit for two or three four years that's probably realistic uh, not realistic but um, and on the positive uh, that this team should walk with the right manager this team should walk the league next season yeah. I mean yeah, definitely. Callum Robinson Callum Robinson and Carlin Graham up front with Dean Garner and Pereira be, like in midfield ridiculous like it's incre- that's a ridiculous championship team yeah. It's the best Champions team we've ever had, probably. I mean, Gale and Rodriguez were good. That whole team was good. But that that team is basically a very good championship team. 
Yeah. Um, and so the right manager uh, will, 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 I think, take us up. But I, for me, it wouldn't be Allardyce because I don't think. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't think he's that bothered. Um, but I think I'd say I'd go back to my the first question you asked me about about the about this section about like what where they all go wrong. I think you can kind of you can talk around. You're sort of like fiddling with the with on the peripheries of this conversation if you're not going to deal with the main problem. And the main problem is the way we're run and the ownership. And I think until that's sorted we're kind of going to be having the same conversations. We're kind of going to be getting promoted. We're going to get relegated. We're going to get, and that's what's going to keep happening because yeah. there's not going to be any genuine investment. Um, and I think we are the kind of club that can, it can go wrong quite quickly. Um, I, I don't rule out in my lifetime us playing like the lower leagues because that's the kind of club we are. Like we've enjoyed 20 years of this, but I speak to people in the eighties and the nineties and it wasn't great. So um it can uh, it can go bad quite pretty quickly. I think we need. To, I think the ownership stuff needs to be sorted out really fast. I think. Yeah, I think that's probably the one thing. I think from you just need those shackles sort of released and, and let go, and then you can sort of start to build that vision. And you can start to build on. Yeah. You know, even if it's just a manager and give them that money that they need. But if we look towards next season, and obviously you said you wouldn't fancy Big Sam, I personally wouldn't either, and I don't think he fancies it either. I think a lot of yeah. people are resigned, even if they are a big fan, Sam, big big Sam fan, that they just wouldn't have him on at the club next season. Um, and yeah. he wouldn't want to. Obviously, there's that break clause, which is obviously going to mean that he, he can walk for, for nothing at the yeah. end of the season. Uh, who would you bring in if you, uh, available or unavailable, but but realistic, obviously? Who would you, would you have in as your manager? Uh, great question. Um, I don't know. I've never, I've sort of stopped years ago bothering with this stuff. I've never had like a, I've never had like a sort of, I really want X, but partly because I've never, the ones that I've um, liked, I wouldn't have picked. So, I mean, I loved Megson. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, didn't even, I never even heard of him when we got, when we, when we got him. Um, the ones I have heard of are pretty rubbish on the whole, apart from Roy <laughs> Hodgson. Yeah. Like Steve Clark came from nowhere. Um, Roy Hodgson came from nowhere. I mean, I remember when we sacked him at and it was like, what are we doing? And then Hodgson came in and stuff. So I, I, don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, generally, I wouldn't give you a name of someone I think I want to be the manager because that'd be, um, that would be kind of um, disingenuous of me. I've heard Eddie, Eddie Howe mentioned. I think, I, know, I think Eddie Howe is a really good example of a sort of, I personally think, a sort of one club manager. I think, I think, I think Burnley did a terrible job. I went back. I was a, I was a sports reporter up in Manchester. And I covered his very small period, short period at um, at uh, at Burnley as manager. And he was he was yeah. the fans hated him. He was crap. <laughs> but I did interview a, 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 an unknown young player he bought from Bournemouth with him called Danny Ings. I ended up oh, yeah. right. not sure. I ended up doing right. Heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> he might have done right for himself. Um, but yeah, so I, and I, I think Eddie Howe, again, also needs money. I mean, he absolutely wasted it at Bournemouth. Mm. On, on, um, so I don't think he's... He, for me, I think he's a good manager. And like, I think I go back to what I said before. I think I don't think it takes a rocket, science, a rocket scientist to take that team up next season. I think it's just kind of don't do anything stupid. Um, um, one of my best, mate, my best mates is a Rangers fan and he he thinks Gerard is the, is the real deal. Would Gerard be interested? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's the, I think I, 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 I've lived through this kind of era before at Albion where the, the club um, sort of don't want to may not want to spend loads of money next season on a manager and so if they if they want to spend money I think they've got some good choices if they don't it couldn't end up being anybody I don't want Michael Atkinson this obsession with Michael Atkinson I just don't I, what has he done in these recent I don't, I don't get it Um so no, not my Madison, but yeah. What about you? Have you got a sort of favourite or a, or someone you think would be good? My my first pick would be Chris Wilder, but okay, only, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only problem is is if uh, this shouldn't be a problem with our owners, by the way. But if you apparently, you know, the past couple of seasons have proved if you give him a bit of money, he might waste it. Like you know, Brewster, perhaps a bit of McBurney in there as well. Forty million on the pair of them is not the best business for Premier League. So that's, but that shouldn't be a problem with our owners, I do think. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to chuck 20 million at him probably ever. So, you know, you've, you've also got... Also, seeing, seeing, the, seeing the best in Ollie Burke is absolutely criminal, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I call him a Sheffield United fan. Like, what, what do you think of Ollie Burke? I was like, well, he might turn out that he's like, we've, we've all got it wrong. Yeah. 
I think it's pretty awful. I don't really understand why. But the, it's interesting on Wilder, though, because I get you wouldn't need the money, would he? And that's the thing. I think that's the one. It's the season after that. It's, it's how much are the how much are the owners thinking about next season, right? Let's get someone who's got a track record of getting us up, getting teams up. And I think if Wilder is a really good shout. It's that next season. I'll yeah. be end up in the same position where Wilder has a, has a preseason, doesn't really buy well, five games in, then won a game, sacked him back again. And that's kind of what I was, quite why I'm reluctant to answer your questions. I slightly feel like it's irrelevant. Um, yeah. I slightly feel like it, I think it will take a special kind of manager not to get this team promoted um, if there's such a talented squad in that level um, and I'm not sure they'll be too scarred by this season to be honest mainly because a lot of them haven't played um, so um, I'm hoping that Robinson and Grant and like, Dean Garner won't be sort of like um, they, they can kind of pick up where they left it, left off in the championship but uh, yeah I think um, I think Wilder's a pretty good shout, actually. But it's just, well, it's just how far you want to go with it. Is, is, yeah. that, is he a four or five-year project man like you were talking about? Probably not. Um, but I think under the current ownership, we're not going to have that under, with anyone. I, I just don't think there's anyone like that. I don't think they're going to think, well, for five years, we'll appoint this guy because, well, they're not thinking like that, are they? They're thinking, how can we sell this club as fast as possible? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, tricky. it's a tricky one. Yeah, I think whoever's got that job at the club at the moment of deciding who's going to take things forward has got to have yeah. that absolute tunnel vision where he's got the next, honestly, four or five seasons in mind because, as, as we mentioned with Chris Wilder, you give him a season now, next season, he'll get you up probably yeah. and without spending much money. But the next couple of seasons after that, once they give him 20 million, 25 million to spend, I think he'd probably just have to have uh, a clever brain down his ear going, don't buy Ollie Burke or yeah. buy Ollie Burke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think hopefully we can see a much more successful West Bromwich Albion next season at least. And then I guess we'll just see what happens after that. But Daniel, it's been a real pleasure having you on the Baggies podcast this week. I'm sure a lot of people have enjoyed reminiscing over the past, but also hearing your thoughts on what's going on at the moment. But it really has been a pleasure having you, mate. Oh, it's been a pleasure being on us. I, I could say I could do this all night talking about the Albion. And I didn't get to mention, the, the, of course, the greatest game was, was the Wolves away, 5-1 away. Were you there? Were you, were you old enough? I, I, was, I was actually in my living room downstairs. I didn't go live, but I remember it was the first time I saw my dad knee slide across the front room. I do have to say that's probably one of them things that I think I'll yeah. probably ever see once in my life. But that was, oh, honestly, yeah. yeah. I, gives me, that was, that's one of them you mentioned giving you goosebumps. That's one of them yeah. that does that to yeah. you. The game, the goal with the Keith Andrews goal was the goal where when, when it, I think it was the fourth, and he sort of realised, oh God, we're gonna because I'm always like we we can go three one up, and I still think we won't win. I'm a pretty cynical, I'm a pretty sceptical, negative fan. I'm the kind of fan that like oh, watches like that, <laughs> and that was the the fourth was the goal where it was like, oh God, we're gonna beat them, and yeah. we're gonna beat them by loads. <laughs> it is brilliant, and the atmosphere in that stadium was toxic the, yeah. the fury at the McCarthy was amazing and we were stirring it and we started the McCarthy out and it was just oh god he was amazing though getting back to the coach I'm talking about scary that was that was scary getting back to those coaches and I live I lived in Canada I don't I've not lived in Canada for a long time but I, when I, was, when I used to go, I'd, um, when we could go before COVID, I'd drive to my dad's in Canada and we'd go together. I, we had to drive past the base of the Wolves ground to get to the Albion ground. You can only go to go on the coaches. And um, so, yeah, we were just, just on the way back on those coaches. It was the best feeling ever. But the, the walk to the coach after beating the 5 1 was head down, keep your mouth shut. There wasn't, there wasn't much singing, I can, <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, but I just could not do a podcast with you about the Albion without mentioning that. So there it was. That was this week's episode of the Baggies podcast. A long one. It's, it's another long one. I, I do have to say, I, I might have to start apologising for the length of these episodes, but they're just so, so enticing at the moment. I think I'm thinking, you know, can I make more long episodes? And then I'm thinking I need to make less long episodes because I'm going to, you know, you know, people are going to get bored. But they, I, I don't think you can get bored with that sort of thing. But yeah, thank you very much to, for, to Daniel for joining me on this week's episode. Hopefully we'll see him again on the Baggies podcast. Maybe he'll become a bit of a regular. But yeah, if you want to go and follow us on Twitter at the Baggies pod, at Louis Bent underscore or at, I can't remember Daniel's at, but his link will be in the description if you want to go and follow him. 
Uh, but yeah, leave a like down below if you're on YouTube, a follow, a Spotify, Apple podcast follow, a review on either platform would be just fine. But yes, thank you for downloading the episode. It really does help uh, the podcast gain, you know, a bit of a bit of a measure of how far that we've come. But yes, episode 37 of the Baggies podcast featuring Daniel Hewitt has now ended. So thank you very much for listening and I'll see you on the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>